Good morning. This morning's Bible reading, or there are a couple of Bible readings. They're both from Ephesians. Um, The first one is chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, which is on page 1006, if you've got one of the black Bibles. You might have a different Bible reading on, on some of the some of the handouts have, I think, an incorrect Bible reading. So if you've got a Hebrews in there, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> Ephesians is the reading for today. So Ephesians 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So the second reading is just over the page in chapter 4, starting at verse 20, going through to 5, verse 2. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thanks so much, uh, Matt. Uh, let me add my welcome to Claire's. Uh, my name's Paul. Uh, it'd be great if you keep Ephesians open there. Um, and there's a handout uh, in the, the outlines that you got, and that's correct on every handout. So hopefully that'll be helpful in uh, giving you direction of where we're heading. But um, how about I pray uh, for God's help? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us by your life-giving word. We pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your word would take root in our lives and transform us to be the kind of people you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, do you realize how good you've got it? I read a story uh, this week of a, a poor man who lived in Eastern Europe in the early 1900s. This man had been hit hard uh, by, the, by the trials and troubles of life. Uh, and in a bid to start afresh, uh, he saved up all his money and scraped together enough money to buy a third-class ticket on a steamboat trip to New York City. Knowing the journey would take him 12 days, this man, before boarding, bought himself a big chunk of cheese and a bunch of crackers. And then each day, when it was mealtime, this man would just get out his cheese, slice off a bit of it, and eat it with one cracker. The rest of the guests would head to the dining room. Uh, this went on day after day, until on the final day, he was standing next to one of the stewards. Uh, and the steward uh, said to him, why have we not seen you in the dining room? The man said, you know, I, I used all my money just to get a ticket on this ship. Then the steward responded to him by saying, did you not know that your ticket included three buffet meals in the dining room? Did you not know each day we set a place for you in the dining room, but you never came? The man was, he was in shock. He didn't realize how precious the ticket he had in his possession was. And I reckon that's how many of us treat Jesus. I reckon that's how many in our world treat Jesus. We don't realize how good and precious the life he offers us truly is. The life he offers us is far better than a seat uh, at a dining table on a ship, he offers us a seat at God's table. But we can so often forget or fail to grasp this offer that he, he's offering us. This has been the story of humanity since the beginning. This is what we've seen, haven't we, over the last few weeks. C.S. Lewis says, All that we can call human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And as we've journeyed through the Bible the last few weeks and looked at the idea of who we are as uh, humanity, we've seen that we were created by God, precious in His image to know Him and live in relationship with Him. But we turned our back on God. We'd said, actually, God, we'd rather rule our lives than you. And because of that, we, we reap the effects of that every single day. Humanity is now broken. Turning away from God has not resulted in life and humanity flourishing, but rather it's resulted in shame, pain, death and brokenness. We live life now alienated from who we were created to be. We, don't, we didn't realize how good we had it until it was gone. And last week, we saw the glory of humanity, didn't we? Revealed in Jesus. We saw his perfect love 
We saw his perfect obedience. And ultimately, we saw who we were created to be like. And today, we're going to dig into what this perfect one offers us. We're going to unpack and look at how Jesus liberates and redeems us from our brokenness. But more than that, we're going to see what redeemed humanity looks like. And so it's my prayer that if you're someone here this morning who trusts in Jesus, you'll actually see and grasp the magnitude of what you truly have in him. But if you're here today and you're yet to trust in Jesus, it's my prayer that you'll come to accept the life he offers you. Redeemed humanity. That's what we're thinking about. We're going to to think about this in, in three ways. We're going to see three things as we look at the Bible. We're going to see that we're redeemed from brokenness, that we're redeemed to belong, and that we're redeemed to a new identity. So firstly, redeemed from brokenness. Have a look there with me again at Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3. It's an incredible verse. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul, the writer of this letter, starts his letter with this glorious opening statement. He says, In Jesus we are abundantly spiritually blessed. We are more blessed than we can imagine. And one of these blessings is that we're redeemed. Have a look there with me at at verse 7. It says, In him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Uh, This word uh, redemption might be a familiar word uh, for some of us. But I reckon we can so quickly forget or gloss over how glorious it is. Redemption means freedom. It means freedom bought at a price. In the ancient world, the idea of redeeming was often used in the slave markets. A price was paid, so the slave was set free. You paid a price to save a life. In the Bible... Uh, We see uh, God redeeming his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt to be his people again. He brought them out of Egypt to freely live out who they were made to be, his people, out from under the yoke of slavery. And Jesus has redeemed us from our slavery to sin. Since the Garden of Eden, we've all been dead in our sin and deserving of God's wrath. We've been spiritually cut off from our source of life. But God lavishes his love on us and redeems us from our dead and broken state. No greater price could have been paid for our freedom. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this. It says, It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus shed his own blood on the cross, his precious, perfect blood, so that we could be redeemed. So we could be free, do you see what it says there, of our life? From our empty way of life, a life out of sync with who we were made to be, a life broken, in slavery to sin, he, he frees us from a life of facing death and judgment from God. 
I wonder, do you sometimes struggle to know how much God loves you? Do you struggle to feel how much God loves you? Well, look at the price he paid for your life. Recently, I came across a painting called Black Fire by Barnett Newman. Uh, I think it'll be up there on the screen. And maybe some of you are wondering, you know, uh, it's a great painting, Paul. I reckon, you know, my six-year-old daughter could probably, you know, she's a bit of an artist. She could probably do this on our kitchen table with her creams and blacks. Um, but this painting uh, was sold for an astonishing $84.2 million back in 2014. So this painting, you know, it might even be sold for more now, but this painting is now worth $84.2 million. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. So humanity, you are so very precious to God. He was willing to pay the price of his son's own life. He was willing to pay the price to bring you back into relationship with himself. That's how much God loves you. Look at the cross of Jesus, that blood that was spilt. Look at the price he paid for you. Jesus redeems us from our brokenness. But he also redeems us for something. We've been brought back to a relationship with God that we might know him that we may delight in him, that we might praise him. We've been redeemed by Jesus to the life we were created for. And that leads on to our second point, that we've been redeemed to belong. One of the most common phrases in the book of Ephesians and something that would be a glorious thing to do if you were to go home and, and look through the book of Ephesians is to underline and see all the times the phrase in Christ or in him occurs. Uh, it occurs over 20 times throughout the letter. Uh, one, one verse which captures the essence of this in Christ phrase is in verse 13 of chapter 1. It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Do you see what it's, it's saying there? It's saying, For anyone who has heard the message of Jesus and trusts in him, we are now united with him. Our life is now hidden with Jesus, hidden with him in his death and united with him in his resurrection. In other words, we no longer live for ourselves because we belong to Jesus. Our old broken way of life is dead and gone. We now live for him. And we see in the end of verse 13, when we put our trust in Jesus, he now gives us the Holy Spirit. The spirit which declares we are his, which declares we belong to God, that we are God's special possession. The spirit which enables us and empowers us to live for Jesus. And we belong to Jesus, not because of anything we've done, but based on what he has done, based on his death for us, based on God's lavish love for us. Now, this, this reminds me of a, a kid's book that I often read to my daughters. Uh, it's called You Are Special uh, by Max Licardo. And, it, and this book tells the story of a bunch of wooden characters called Wemmicks uh, who live in a town called Wemmickville. Uh, and each of these Wemmicks has been carved by a wood carver named Eli. And each day, uh, the Wemmicks award stickers to each other. 
uh, gold stars for the talented and smart and attractive ones, and then grey dots to the ones who make mistakes or are scratched or just plain ordinary Wemmicks. Uh, one Wemmick in the story named Punchinello, he quil- feels quite worthless as he, he's given lots of grey dots. He looks around at all the other Wemmicks and he doesn't think he's a very good Wemmick. That is until one day he visits his maker's workshop. It's when Eli, the woodcover, picks Punchinello up in his hands and says, don't worry about what those other people think of you. Don't worry about all the mistakes you make. Just remember how special and loved you are by your maker. He tells Punchinello to daily keep coming back to him to remind himself that nothing can change Eli's love for him to remind himself of the lavish, unconditional love of his maker. And that's what it's like when we belong to Jesus. When we put our trust in him, we are in our maker's hands, and no matter what we do or what others think of us, nothing can snatch us out of his hands. We're to daily keep going back to God, reminding ourselves that our worth comes from belonging to Jesus and not by what we do. God has lavished his love freely on us. And in Jesus, we belong to him now. To to be redeemed is to belong to Jesus, but it's much more than that too. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says that God's plan is far bigger and greater, and it's not solely focused on us. God's plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's plan is for Jesus to get the glory that he deserves. And God has already started this plan when Jesus died and rose from the grave. God's plan started when Jesus, by his death, created one new humanity. We see this picked up in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Chapter 2 verse 15 says this, um, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace in one body to to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God's purpose in Christ was to create one new humanity under Jesus. Ever since the garden, humanity has been at war with one another. Nation has fought against nation. Brother has killed brother. There's been racial discrimination and division. Jews have hated Gentiles. That's what it's getting at here in making peace between the two. All relationships have been broken and fraught. And our world doesn't have a solution to this fracturing of human relationships. But Jesus does. In Christ, one new humanity is made. Jesus brings peace with God and peace with each other. In Jesus, people from all backgrounds, races, ages, stages are brought together under him, united as family. Peace, forgiveness and reconciliation is what mark those who belong to Jesus. When we belong to Jesus, we're spiritually joined together with each other as family. To belong to Jesus is to belong to his people. We don't just belong to Jesus individually. We belong to each other. Now, this is quite a a radical idea in our individualistic society. 
Our world says, I am my own. I belong to myself. But the Bible says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. I wonder what kinds of um, clubs or, or social groups maybe you're a part of. Maybe a book club, a football club, bouldering club, whatever it is. Um, when you head along to these clubs, you arrive as an individual and you leave as an individual. You may have a common sharing in that moment, but you leave on your own terms. But this is not the case with those who belong to Jesus. We belong to each other even when we're not together on Sundays. When we walk out those doors, we are still God's household. We are still the body of Christ. We are not foreigners and strangers, but family united under him, looking to build each other up, to spur each other on in following Jesus. We need each other, just like every part of our bodies needs each part to function properly. Now, with this mindset of belonging to each other, it radically changes your view of those who trust Jesus. They're no longer just other churchgoers who... You know, other individuals who on a Sunday just come together, have the same hobby. But we're fellow members of the body of Christ. And because we belong to each other, this is why we physically meet together each week. It's not just because we want to hear the word of God. You could do that at home. It's not just because we want to pray. You could pray to God at home. It's not just because you want to have, we want to have morning tea together. You probably have a better morning tea at home. What's missing at home? It's other people. To miss gathering with God's people is to miss meeting with your family. It's to miss meeting with those with whom you truly belong. I remember a while ago, someone asked me, can you trust in Jesus and not go to church? I can't remember exactly what I said then, but what I would say now is, when you trust and love Jesus... You'll love and cherish the things that he does. And he loves his people enough to to die on the cross for them, to lay his life down for them, to bleed for them. So I want to love and serve and cherish the people of God like Jesus does. We're redeemed to belong. We belong to Jesus and we belong to each other. And that brings us to our third point. We're redeemed to a new identity. Your identity, if you love and trust Jesus now, as we've been saying, is bound up in him. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You don't need to go searching for your identity by what you do anymore. You don't need to go looking to the world to affirm your identity You don't need to go looking inside to find out who you truly are. No, God has gifted us a new identity as the precious, redeemed people of God. You want to know who you are? You are first and foremost a son of God, a daughter of the living God, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. That is your new identity. That is who you are. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We belong to God as his people. We are his family now. 
We belong to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is our new identity. Do you grasp how precious you are to God? Do you grasp your new identity in Jesus? If you trust and love Jesus, God does not look at you as broken and as a guilty sinner, but he looks at you as a precious child of his, a member of his redeemed people, saved to glory and honor in him. And if this is who we are, if this is our new identity in Jesus, how do we live as God's redeemed people? What does it mean for us as his people? Well, to be redeemed by Jesus, to belong to him and his people, changes everything. Just like when God redeemed his people out of Egypt, he not only took them out of Egypt, he wanted to take Egypt out of them. He wanted to transform their lives to be his people. And it's the same for us. God has redeemed us, made us his own, and so so now we live out our new identity in Christ. The life we live, we now live for him. And we live this out together as the people of God. So what might our new identity look like? Well, Ephesians has a lot to say on this. We're just going to think about three areas. Our lives are to be marked by humility. Have a look at Ephesians uh, 4, 1 to 2 with me. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There is no place for pride in the people of God. We've been redeemed freely by God's grace. So there's no room for boasting or superiority if we belong to Jesus. Uh, J.C. Ryle, an old, old minister, he said this. He said, the surest mark of trusting in Jesus is humility. Humility is the ability to, to put the other people's needs ahead of your own. It's the ability to put yourself below others for their benefit. So how are you going at living a life of humility? Do you take time here on a, on a Sunday morning over morning tea or during the week to, to care and be involved in other people's lives? Do you ask how they're going? Do you pray for them? Are you humble enough to, to say sorry and apologize when you've, you've hurt someone by your words or by your actions? You're not defensive or looking to play the blame game like Adam and Eve did in the garden. You're looking to mend and fix broken relationships. Do you get in and serve the body of Christ, not waiting to be asked, not just coming to consume, but looking for ways to serve and build up his body? A life marked by humility follows the example of Jesus in seeking to serve others and not be served. Secondly, a life lived for Jesus means our speech looks to build others up. Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if we belong to Jesus, if we've been redeemed by Jesus, our heart belongs to him. We're being transformed by his spirit, so our speech should change. Look with me at at, at chapter 4, verse 29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up to their needs and that it may benefit those who listen. Our world 
says you've got to express yourself. Our world says it's our right to get our opinion and our words out there. But if our identity is bound up with Jesus, our words should be looking to build others up and not tear down. Our words are not to be nasty and demeaning and cutting, but looking to be helpful for what others need. And if our words are going to benefit others, it first means we need to know what's going on in their lives. It means we need to first listen before we speak. And when we do speak, we should ask ourselves, is this going to be helpful in building them up? Is this helpful for them in pointing them to Jesus, in spurring them on in Jesus? I wonder, do you know someone in your life who just oozes encouragement? Someone you're around you, you can't just help but be spurred on in following Jesus. Uh, For me, when I think of a person like that, I think of a 92-year-old brother in Christ at a previous church. Whenever I would see him, he would ask me how I'm going. He'd give me a big, warm hug, and then he'd follow up on things that I'd shared with him previously. He'd also then uh, ask how he could pray for me. I'd then chat with him, and he'd share me about his week and all the glorious things that he'd been learning in the Bible about Jesus. He then asked me to pray for him as each day he would wander down his corridor in his nursing home to try and share the gospel with his neighbours. I don't think a time went by when I saw this man that I couldn't be spurred on and encouraged. He used his words, his ears, to, to build others up and point them to Jesus. I wonder, how do you use your words to build others up in Jesus? Our identity in Christ means our lives are marked by humility. Our speech looks to build others up. And finally, our lives overflow in love for others. Look with me again. Last passage, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love of others is the foundation for anyone who has been loved by Jesus. Because we have been loved much, we want to love others much. So let me ask you, how do you seek to love and sacrifice your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? How do you prioritize and put your family in Christ first in your life? Jesus says it's by our love for one another that the world will know we're his disciples. So let me ask you, does your love of Jesus flow out in love for others? Do your days reflect a love for others or a love for yourself? In closing, let me ask you, do you realize how much you have in Jesus? Or maybe the question for some of you is today, do you realize how much you need Jesus? Jesus offers us all the life we were made for, a life redeemed from the wages of sin and death, a life where we belong to Jesus and his people now, a life where we can live as God intended us to live, a life in loving relationship with our creator and with each other. The question is, Have you come to Jesus to receive the life he offers you? 
Have you come to him with praise and thanks, knowing that with him you are loved, known, and secure in the arms of your creator? Let's pray that we'd all grasp how much we have in Jesus and that he'd help us to daily live out this new identity in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you that by his death, he has redeemed us to be his people. We praise you that by the blood of Jesus, we have been washed clean and made a new creation. Help us each day to continue to grasp how wide and deep and long the love of Christ is for us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us by the power of your Spirit and as your people together to live out our new identity in Jesus, daily spurring each other on in praise and worship of him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.